Thanks for tuning in to the teaching ministry of Mike Hilson, Senior Pastor of New Life Wesleyan Church of La Plata, Maryland. It's a church that plants churches and of Where You Are Church, an online church helping people reconnect with God through practical content and a growing community. Hey, we're glad that you're taking time to listen to this week's message. We hope this teaching helps you love God and love people better every single day. And if you enjoy what you hear today, consider sharing it with someone else. Now, enjoy today's teaching. Today we're going to wrap up our series on um, on holiness, and we're 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 going to move into what I believe is a core thing that you have to understand about holiness if you're going to follow it properly. I think that when we get into following the rules, which was our first sermon, when we get into the culture wars of uh, of holiness, which was the second sermon, I think when we get into those things, we, we get into it because we have one basic misconception about holiness, spiritual holiness, uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit taking over our lives. I think that one of the major problems when, with, with holiness doctrine is it's viewed as a doctrine of victory. When I become holy, when I, when I actually get holy or get holiness in my life, there's this idea that I get victory over sin or I get victory over failure or I get victory over, uh, over thoughts or I get victory over temptation. Look, a lot of that is true. When holiness takes hold, you do begin to have some victories. But in the end, holiness is not about victory. In fact, let me be honest with you. Our entire spiritual lives, our entire following of Jesus and following of the Holy Spirit is not about our victories. It's not about our wins. I'm going to say something that's going to hit wrong, and I know it's going to hit wrong, but I want you to hear me. Holiness is not about victory. It's about surrender. Now, that's not, that doesn't hit right, especially for Americans, because we don't like surrender. We don't like that word. Uh, we 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 don't like the idea that I would give up on anything. You know, I'm not a quitter. I, I I'm not one that gives up. I, I'm not. I'll never surrender. That that's kind of where we come from, right? But but the truth is, surrender is required if we're actually going to follow the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an, let me give you an illustration. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had not did not indwell people, did not live inside of people. That happens in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost, right? So if I'm going to say to you in the Old Testament, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the holy day. You have that one day of Sabbath. We use Sunday, they use Saturday. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If I'm going to say that to you and the Holy Spirit does not reside within you, then the way you're going to practice that is by setting up rules that people must follow. And inside of these rules is how you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You don't do these things, you do those things. Therefore, these rules that I talked about the first, the first week, they make sense if the Holy Spirit does not live inside of us because nobody knows where the lines are. Nobody knows where the boundaries are, so you've got to create them, right? Now, Looking back on on Jewish law and Jewish custom and Jewish religious restrictions, they had layered rule upon rule upon rule upon rule upon rule upon rule until it just got silly. Uh, but 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 you you get where the rules matter at that point. But but let's hold up a minute. 
after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit lives inside me. So now, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That can be seen in a whole different way. It can be seen as it's my job to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life and to make sure that I have a Sabbath day and I, and I, and I handle it in a way that is holy. Watch. There's a rule. You need a Sabbath day. You need a day off. That's what God is saying. You need a day off, a day where you rest and you focus on worshiping God and hearing from God's word. That's your Sabbath day. That, that's a rule, right? How you play that rule out can, can, can vary based on what the Holy Spirit is calling you to. Let me give, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example from my life. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I would go visit my grandpa uh, and, and go visit my dad, my, my biological father, who lived down in the Charleston area of South Carolina. So we would go down here to, to Monk's Corner and, and be out there. And, and, and I had an Uncle Jetty. Uncle Jetty had this beautiful pond out beside his house. I mean, it was it was awesome. And he would tell me, boy, there's big old bass in that pond. And I wanted to fish that pond so bad, right? But I never, the only time, my entire life, the only time we ever visited Uncle Jetty was on Sunday. Well, my grandpa, who was a Wesleyan pastor, did not believe it was proper to go fishing on Sunday because that was breaking the Sabbath rules. That wasn't part of rest. You can't fish on Sunday because it's the Lord's day. So I never in my entire, I never fished that pond because we only visited Uncle Jetty on Sunday and Grandpa Hilson wouldn't let me fish some pond on Sunday. So I never fished that pond. Can I be honest with you? Looking at it today, the Holy Spirit says, remember the Sabbath day and keep holy. We went to church. We did Sunday school, we did church, we did all of that, we worshiped, we heard the word of God, we did all of that. There was nothing unrestful or unholy about me going to church, going to Sunday school, going to church, and then having lunch with the family, and then going out back at Uncle Jetty's house and going fishing. There was nothing unholy about that. The Holy Spirit was not going to block me from doing that. Grandpa's rules did. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't. And I actually remember Uncle Jetty one day taking me out back and going, boy, I'd let you fish that pond, but you know your grandpa won't allow that. Okay, and that, okay, I get it. I get it. I never fished the pond. That's okay. That was grandpa's rules. He was living by rules that would, that would hopefully give victory. I think we need to live by a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is characterized by surrender. Holiness is best defined as whenever the Holy Spirit says, Michael, stop that, I immediately stop and listen, and I surrender to what the Holy Spirit has said. Or when the Holy Spirit says, Michael, do this, I immediately stop and obey what the Holy Spirit has told me to obey. In both cases, I've surrendered. Let me give you some examples. I want to give you some examples, and I want to take these from people that are clearly working very hard to follow God and to do what is right. So, in all three, in all three cases, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you examples of people who were following God, but they had to surrender in different ways. And I will show you three different ways that I find surrender in, in, in Scripture. So, in Second Samuel in the Old Testament, Second Samuel chapter twelve. 2 Samuel chapter 12, you, you, you have this story of David being confronted by the prophet Nathan. Now, here's what's going on. 
In chapter 11, David has not gone off to war uh, like he was supposed to. He stayed back home. David has an affair. He gets this woman pregnant. It is the wife of one of his one of his uh, soldiers. He then has the soldier, when he can't get the soldier to come home and sleep with his wife to hide the fact that he got her pregnant, he sends the soldier off and the soldier is killed at battle and he arranges so the soldier will be killed at battle and David marries his wife. So uh, that's what's happened. You say, well, I thought you were going to talk about good people. King David is listed as a man after God's own heart. People who are good, sometimes good people do bad things. And that's something we have to unpack, okay? Holiness does not mean, again, it's not a doctrine of victory. It's a doctrine of surrender. He obviously, David is obviously not walking in victory here. Okay, he's walking in failure, but he refuses to admit it. Nathan then comes up, tells him a story of a rich man who had flocks and herds. But when he had friends over, rather than take a lamb from his flocks and herds to feed to his to his guests, he went next door and stole a poor man's lamb, the only lamb the poor man had. And the man loved the lamb. They treated it like a pet. And the man took his lamb killed it and served it to his guests okay this is the, this is the story nathan is telling david and it says here in chapter 12 verse 5 david burned with anger against the man and said to nathan as surely as the lord lives the man who did this must die he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a such a thing and had no pity then nathan said to david you are that man okay okay you got to understand you got to understand David is suddenly realizing when Nathan says to David, you are that man, David suddenly realizes, oh, I see what I did now. I stole the wife of one of my men, even though I have. David had a whole harem full of wives. He wasn't supposed to, but he did. And so he had all these wives, but this this Uriah only had one wife. So David steals the man's one wife, then kills the man and takes his wife as his own and, and it's, it's, it's complete mess. And so when David, not sensing it when he hears the story, declares a, a, a penalty that this man must die. He must pay for the land four times over because he did this thing. I had no pity. And Nathan said to him, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king of Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and I gave your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. Listen to his words. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. David's reaction to being called on the carpet was an immediate surrender. We must surrender when the Holy Spirit catches us in the act. Sometimes in our lives, I'll be honest, even those who are trying to live the best lives possible, you'll find times when you do things that are not in keeping with your character. When those things happen and the Holy Spirit calls you on it, what you can't do is make excuses. You can't start saying, well, but, well, but, well, but, well, but. No, you got to go straight to, I have sinned against the Lord. I get it. I'm the guy. I get it. 
I'm the one that needs forgiveness. I get it. I messed up. I understand. And you immediately go to surrender. You immediately go to repentance. When you do that, the natural, the normal, the the the, the very character of grace and forgiveness of God will bring forgiveness to you. Your sin, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. You won't die. And so, so what we've got to understand is when we get caught in something, there must be an instant moment of surrender. Now, everybody listen to me. This is not normal in current culture. In current culture, it's always somebody else's fault. We find somebody else to blame. We, we lie about it. We hide it. We, 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 we tell half-truths. We do. That's the way our culture functions right now. That's not how God wants that to function. When we are caught, God calls us to simply confess it and move on. So surrender when caught is one way. Now, let me give you a different one. Let me give you a different story. This story is in Acts, and this story has to do with Saul, who will ultimately become the Apostle Paul. We're in Acts chapter 9, and Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the church. He's headed to Damascus in order to arrest and, and beat or maybe even murder some of the believers of Jesus. Paul, Saul, at this point, is doing what he thinks is right and is serving God in the way he thinks he should but he's misguided. He's following the rules instead of living in a relationship with the Savior. All of that's about to change. All of that's about to change, but but Saul is doing what he thinks is the right thing, but it's not the right thing. And it says here in chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. Uh, I have to tell you that inside of the life of Saul in this moment, I, 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 don't, I don't see Saul being given a lot of options here. I, I see Saul being knocked down, and then, and then told, you will be told what to do. God is going to make Saul his apostle to the Gentiles. And Saul is not going to have a choice in that, which is really incredibly ironic if you think about it, because Saul is, is doing his level best to protect Judaism from the invasion of this Jesus cult that all of a sudden is starting to reach out to non-Jews. In chapter 10, we get this holy event with, um, with Peter. The very next chapter, Peter's going to Cornelius' house. All of that's going to happen. And, and Saul, who is working so hard to just keep the Jewish thing going, God says, no, you're not going to do that anymore. You're actually going to be, become the apostle to the Gentiles. You're the one that's going to have to make everybody who is Jewish think about people who are not Jewish. And it's really quite an ironic thing. You'll be told what to do. In this case, there must be surrender when you're caught. That's the King David example. But there must also be surrender when you are commanded. I want you to understand something. I believe in free will. Everybody needs to hear that. I believe in free will. I believe God gives us free will. I believe we choose to follow God. I believe we choose to receive forgiveness from him. I believe in free will. Okay, everybody's got that. But I do believe there are moments when God commands us to do one thing or another. And in those moments, 
I'm not sure there's a lot of free will for those who are actually going to live spirit-led, holiness-centered lives. I, I think when God tells you, when God commands you to do something, you got to just surrender to it and do it. Uh, I, I, years ago, years ago, I mean, I mean I'm talking I was 18, uh, and, and, and I was working construction for my dad over the summer, my stepdad over the summer. And, and, and as, as I'm working, you know, I, I felt like I needed to go to college. We didn't have the money to go to college. It was, all the, it was, it was a thing, y'all. It was a thing. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And, and, and I remember praying, okay, Lord, you got to tell me something. You got to tell me if I'm going to college or not. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll stay here and open up a business. Maybe I'll do, you got to tell me if I'm going to college or not. And I literally asked God to do something that was virtually impossible during a lunch break as I was working this construction job with my dad. And I look up immediately from that prayer and what I asked God to do immediately takes place. It was miraculous. It was, it was God saying to me, yes, you have to go to college. You have to do this. So well, why would God do that? Does he do that all the time with you? No, he doesn't do it all the time. Uh, very few times in my entire life. But that time mattered. Because by going to college, I ended up with my education. I ended up with everything, uh, uh, being in three different fields of study that, that all applied to what I've done the rest of my life. I ended up with my wife. I ended up with my calling. All of that came as a result of that one decision. Why? Because in that moment, God commanded me to do something, and I had to follow it. Holiness meant surrendering to God's command. you got to surrender when you're caught. you got to surrender when you're commanded. But then there's a third, uh, there's a third uh, example that we just preached about recently at the, toward the end of last year. It's from John chapter 21. This is, this is Peter, and Peter has failed Jesus. And if you look at the, at, the, at the description of this section of Scripture, it's called the restoration of Peter. Jesus has, has now met them. They went back to fishing. Jesus met them, called them to the shore. They've come to the shore. They're now having breakfast with him. And Jesus, for the third time, says to Peter, Simon, son of John. I'm in chapter 21, verse 17. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to Peter, follow me. You got to surrender when you're caught. Okay? You got to surrender. You got to surrender when you're commanded. And you got to surrender when you're commissioned. When you're commissioned to go do something, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit and do it. That's part of holiness. Again, I've been giving you some personal examples along the way. I'll give you this one. When it came time when, when we began to interview in Maryland at the church that we are physically at here in, in, in Southern Maryland, I had lived my entire life in North Carolina. I'd planned to spend the rest of my life in North Carolina. I really had not planned to move. I had told another pastor friend, I'm not going to leave. I'm going I'm to stay here. That was my plan. God called us to Maryland, and it was clear that there was a commission to come here. Tina and I both felt it. We both knew we have to go to Maryland. In that moment, holiness required that I surrender to a commissioning a commissioning to a new location, a commissioning to a new church, a commissioning to a new mission, a commissioning to a new way of doing ministry. And we answered that call. We surrendered to it. Why? 
because we knew that if God called us to do it, he would sustain us through it. You got to hear me. Surrender is how holiness works. Because really, the art of holiness is the art of learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And once you learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, surrendering to whatever that voice calls you to immediately. I think those who live in the greatest degree, the most surrendered levels of holiness, are the ones who just instantly hear the voice of God, stop what they're doing, recognizing the voice, they stop what they're doing, and they immediately obey. That immediate obedience, that immediate surrender, I think is the outcome of true holiness. I think that's where true holiness lives. I I don't think it has anything to do with following rules. I don't think it has anything to do with never making a mistake. I don't think it has anything to do with never being tempted. I think it has everything to do with surrendering to the Holy Spirit at the moment he calls you to do or not do something and being obedient, surrendering yourself to his call so that he can guide you where he wants you to be. I think in the end, that's how you learn to love God and love people better every day is by surrendering to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You say, well, I don't even know how to hear that voice. You need to spend time in the Word spend time in prayer until you recognize that voice. And when you do, every time you hear it, surrender to it. Always say yes. Pastor Aaron Rummage, who's pastored with me here in Maryland, in, in La Plata, Maryland for 20-some years, we both had this little plaque on our desk. It said, yes, Lord. Here, here is the way that worked. The answer is yes, Lord. Now, what's the question? The answer is going to be yes. Lord, if you call me to answer, if you call me to something, the answer is going to be yes. I've already surrendered to my yes. Yes, Lord. Now, what's the question? Holiness is not a doctrine of victory. Holiness is a doctrine of surrender. Pray with me. <sighs> Holy Spirit, teach us. There are no doubt many of us out here who, who are just asking that you would help us to know your voice. Teach us to know your voice. Teach us to hear you. And then, Lord, once we learn to recognize your voice, teach us to constantly surrender, instantly surrender. Lord, we want your will in our lives. Your will is what's best for us anyway. So, Lord, please, please, please teach us to surrender to your will quickly, not slowly. Make us like you. And Lord, we give you praise for everything you do in our lives, everything you accomplish, because all we really need to learn to do is be surrendered to your voice, and you will do great things through us. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. We hope that this resource helped you in your journey towards loving God and loving people better every single day. If you enjoyed this, please take a second, share it with your friends. And last, we wanted to give a special thanks to all of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you all that this is possible. And if you'd like to learn more about how to partner with us financially, go ahead and click give for more information. We appreciate anything that you can do to help. So thanks again for being a member of our online family. We love serving Jesus with you.